In the book of Nehemiah again, Nehemiah chapter 5, if you want to turn there or open to that app on your phone. Um, As we continue to look through this book, as Nehemiah is trying to build up the walls around Jerusalem, that Jerusalem needs its culture and its people and it needs its safety and security. And so Nehemiah hears about the walls. He doesn't live there, but he prays and he plans. Praise and he plans. And this is just one of the themes of Nehemiah. He's always praying and he's always planning. He's always waiting on God and expecting God to do something. And he's always working to actually do it himself. God is going to build our walls. Here's your shovel. God is going to protect our people. And here's your sword. That God calls us to both wait and to act. And when we do both those things is when God really shows up. We talked about how resistance forms, how the nations around him uh, don't want him to build these walls and how he responds by strengthening not just the walls, but, but what Nehemiah is doing more than anything is he's building the people, bringing them together. Now there's more resistance, more problems, more challenges he's going to have to face. But this time in chapter five, they're not problems from outside of Israel. They're problems from inside in the way the people are treating one another. So, chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry from the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. There's this big outcry. Bunch of people complaining. The word outcry, you, you, might, you might translate that as ruckus. There's a ruckus. Bunch of people come to Nehemiah complaining. They're complaining against their Jewish brothers. There's an important phrase, brothers. The understanding in the Jewish culture was that we're brothers. We're all brothers and sisters from one family. We have one father, Father Abraham. He had many sons, and I'm one of them, and so are you, right? We're part of this larger family. And so Israel was supposed to treat each other well. They're supposed to treat each other with respect. In fact, you weren't supposed to charge absorbent interest from people who were Jewish. In fact, some of my friends who are Jewish um, talk about, and, and from Israel, talk about how in Israel, if you're Jewish, you're expected to get a better deal in stores and in markets than other people are. They're supposed to take care of your family members in a different way. You're not supposed to gouge them for money. And yet, There's some problems going on. There's a famine, apparently. So we don't have an appreciation of famine because most of us are not actually that reliant on farming in our own lives. But if you're a farming culture, famines are a big deal. When we have no famine, and when we have a famine, nobody has anything. There's nothing to eat. The only people that have stuff is people that can either import it or people that have stored it up. On top of that, the king is exacting large taxes from them. This is a big deal for Nehemiah 
Because if you remember the story, Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king. Nehemiah works for the king. He's one of the king's closest people. And the king is charging so much on taxes that with the famine and the taxes, the people are not, allowed, are not able to keep up. On top of that, a whole bunch of Israel is now working on what? The walls. A lot of the men, but, but also we know from chapter 3, a whole bunch of the people have gone to Jerusalem and are building these walls. And you know what you're not doing when you're building walls? You're not, you're not harvesting your crops. You're not, you're not working on all these other things. And so we have this crisis growing. And what some people in Israel are doing then is they are charging really high interest rates to give loans and, and, and mortgages against people's vineyards, against people's fields, and against people's homes. And so much so that now people are getting behind and they can't pay off their debts. And because they've mortgaged their fields, they can't use their fields. And because of the famine, their fields are no good to them anyway. So now people are in real trouble. And one of the things you used to have to do in those days is you would have to go into servanthood. Okay, If you couldn't pay off your debt, you had to go work for that person for a period of time till you could pay off that debt. It's one of the ways that you could get out of debt. But you see, the, the, the system is really being abusive. So, so there are people among the Jewish people that instead of caring for and helping out their brothers and sisters are taking advantage of them. And they're gaining fields and they're gaining houses and they're gaining servants. They're, they're harming one another when they should be helping one another. So how does Nehemiah respond? Well, verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself. And about charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of nations and our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, or oil that you have been exacting from them. Nehemiah is angry about this. He's angry. So he takes counsel with himself. What does that mean? I mean, he thinks it over. He mulls it over. He pauses to kind of sort through what's he going to do. And he brings charges against the nobles and the officials. Okay, two parties. The nobles have the money to do the loaning. Okay, the officials are the one that oversee the transactions. Okay, they are the judges and the officials that when you went to go make a deal, you made the deal in front of this person and then they could enforce the rules later on. Um, so the officials are in on it. Okay, why? Because they should never have let these bad loans happen in the first place. Okay, why are they doing that? Probably because they're making a cut. Probably because they're in on it. So the nobles and the officials come together and he says these, are, these agreements, you, you can't do this. Return the land. Return what you've taken. 
Return the interest. Return the extra. You should be helping. See, if you have means, if you have means, you have responsibility to use those to benefit others. These are people with means, people that have grain, people that are not really affected by the famine, and they're making more off the people that are being harmed by the famine. That's terrible. I love this phrase. This is what I want to center on today. He says, ought you not to walk in the fear of God? Fear of God, the fear of the Lord. This phrase is used over a hundred times in the Bible. It's not a small theme. It's a large theme in the Bible. You don't hear us use the phrase often. And when we do, it's really explained away as simple awe or reverence. Should we be afraid of God? Had some conversations online this week um, about this. That's a post that I made. And uh, some people really had trouble with this idea of the fear of God. Almost like that makes God sound like um, he's, he's an angry parent that, that rules by fear. But I don't think that's how it is. I don't think it's how it is. Fear of the Lord is not the same as terror. We know that from the Jonah story. You go back and read the Jonah story. The fishermen are in the boat. Jonah's there and there's this big storm. And it says they're terrified. They're terrified. But when Jonah says, throw me overboard, and they throw him overboard, and the storm calms, it says that they're filled with the fear of the Lord. So we see in that story this difference between terror, panic, and craziness, versus this fear of the Lord. Like knowing, oh, I better not mess with this God. I better give God some respect. That's different than being terrified of God. Proverbs 9.10 says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Lest you think it's only a New Test- or Old Testament phrase, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we know what it is to fear the Lord. See, fear of the Lord is based on God's righteousness. Not just on His power, but on His righteousness. That this God is so righteous, He is so holy, He is so other than us, we better watch our step when we're around Him. We better watch our step in His presence. In the Old Testament, they had this elaborate worship system where you weren't allowed to get too close to God. Why? Because God is just that holy. And because you are just not. So we should have a sense of awe and respect. This is not a God you want to cross. But at the same time, this is a loving God who went to the cross for you. See? I had an Old Testament professor named Dr. Tappy who used to talk about what kind of grace he got. Some people think they have deserved grace. God is for me because I deserve God to be for me. I'm good. Why wouldn't God love me and give me grace? Undeserved grace, he said, is God is for me even though I don't deserve it. Yeah, I don't really deserve it, and God is kind of for me anyway. What Dr. Tappy always used to say is that he has ill-deserved grace. God is for me even though I deserve the opposite. It's not that God is not powerful enough to punish me. It's not that he's not righteous enough to hold me accountable. He is holy and he is just and he is justified in his anger at me that I am so far away from what he would have me be. I deserve the opposite. And yet, God gives me grace. There's a really great line in the song, really great stanza in the song Amazing Grace. You will have sung it so many times. That says, "'Twas grace... That taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour 
I first believed. Think about those words. That grace taught my heart to fear. The grace somehow, when I am exposed to, when I see, when I understand God's grace for me, there's this twinge of fear that happens in my heart. You mean God loves me that much? Even as me? I've met many people who are scared to accept that kind of grace. That that don't even know what to do with a God that would love you unconditionally. That would love you as you are. Knowing exactly what you've done in your past. That's the kind of grace that God has for you. And so there is like this twinge of fear that, that we learn when we understand grace. And yet, what does this stand to say? And grace my fears relieved. That the longer I sit with this God, the longer I'm around this grace, I start to understand I don't actually have to be afraid of this God. I can be bold. I can be strong. Because I don't have to pretend I can just trust in that grace. I don't have to worry about it fading. It's going to be there. This sense of fear and awe and reverence should influence how we behave as Christians. It's central. It's the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs tells us that God brings blessing to those who fear the Lord. That's in um, uh, Psalms 115, actually. Uh, They avoid evil. They gain life. They gain knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. You want to start, and wisdom is not just knowing stuff. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom means I take in information and I make good decisions based on it. Wisdom is the ability to take what you know and apply it to make life work. That's what wisdom really is. And the Proverbs say that wisdom begins when we have this sense of fear, awe, reverence, maybe a little sense of fear, a little bit of an understanding. This is not a God we want to cross. And yet, this is a God that went to the cross for us. Nehemiah's worldview is the same worldview as the Proverbs, that that's the fear of the Lord is where wisdom starts, that your behavior ought to be based on a fear of the Lord. And so Nehemiah sees this behavior going on, these people that are hurting each other, For the sake of their own gain. Instead of helping each other in a time of need. And he looks at it and he says this isn't just not nice. We've got a core problem wrong. And the core problem is. We we don't have a fear of the Lord. We don't have a fear of the Lord. We live in a world where we don't have a fear of the Lord. That's our world. And unfortunately that's a lot of Christian worldviews. They're not guided by this sense of fear. This sense of grace. That, that makes my heart fear and then relieves those fears. No, that's not the core for many of us. And it should be. So the people respond in verse 12. We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and I made them swear to do as they promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment <coughs> and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, so they may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. They did it. They responded. When the people were challenged by it, they said, Okay, we'll do it. We'll give the land back. We'll give the vineyard back. We'll give the interest we got back. And understand the loss that that is. Okay, the people who they, got, they loaned money to and loaned grain to, you know what they did with that? 
They ate it. Okay? They ate it. They ate the goods. They ate the grain. They drank the wine. And so those who are now, now submitting, now saying, yeah, we'll do it, they've got personal loss in this. We aren't just going to make, not make money. We're going to lose in this deal. And they do it. And Nehemiah has this great metaphor. He takes his cloak and shakes it out. And you've got to imagine, we have like laundry machines. So you have really clean. And, and you don't live in a real dusty area. But, but in Israel, you get dust on everything, right? And there's not like a laundry mat down the street. You can just... So when Nehemiah does this, you can imagine a little... Right? Some dirt. So, so don't miss the image. Let that be you if you don't do what you said today. God will shake you out of this place. And, and all the time in the background of Nehemiah's comments are the, is the exile, right? Here we are. We were slaves in other lands. And we're finally back. And now you're making each other slaves. And when I say, may God shake you out, you better believe they know what that means. Because they, they just got shook out 70 years ago. <laughs> they just had to be kicked out and are now back. They know that that will happen Nehemiah then, as he's journaling, uh, it seems to be journaling this text, takes this moment to break away from the story in verse 14. So he's been telling a story, a story that takes him back to Jerusalem. He starts building the wall. He deals with regular problems. But now he, he takes the moment to jump back away from the narrative of the story and add an important detail. Verse 14. Moreover, from the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so. Why? Because of the fear of the Lord. Because of the fear of God. I also preserved in the work on the, persevered in the work of the wall, that we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were, were around us. And, and what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance." Yet for all, I did, for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember my good, O oh God, all that I have done for this people. So he's allowed, actually, because he works for the governor, because um, he's, in that, he's the governor, because he works for the king. He is allowed to charge extra taxes on the people so that he can make a living. Right? He's allowed to do that. He's allowed to raise taxes and he's allowed to set that. And what he's saying is previous governors have set that way too high and it's hurt the people. And it's hurt the people. And he says, I, I did not do that. Now, he's got a government. He's got 150 people at his table. That'd be him and his servants. He's got a military guard there. Uh, plus, he's got guests and things. So he, he does. He has uh, an ox and he's got sheep and he's got birds and he's got all this stuff. And that's not cheap, by the way. You add that up in 12 years, that's 4,380 oxen, 26,280 sheep, and tons and tons of wine. I mean, Nehemiah's not starving, okay? He's not eating rice, okay? He's, 
he's getting a livelihood. He's taking care of himself and his people. But at the same time, he, he's, not, he's not gouging the people. He's not abusing the people. And that's important to him. Why? Because of the fear of God. That's why he interrupts the narrative. He's trying to call the people out to, to make decisions based on the fear of God. And what he's saying here in his journal is, I did that too. I made my decisions based on the fear of God. And what does he say at the end? That he wants Israel to remember how good he was? No. That's not the fear of God. That's the fear of people. The fear of people is when you want them to remember who you are. Right? What he wants is God to remember him. Remember my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. He wants God. He doesn't, he, he's got enough fear of God that there's no, there's no body that he cares about their opinion anywhere close. Anywhere close. The fear of God dominates his decisions and his thinking. Do you fear the, the Lord? Do you have a fear of God that changes your behavior and your actions? Do you have a healthy dose of fear and respect and awe? If you don't, maybe you should. If you treat God so flippantly that he's really not that important, you have missed how amazing and how powerful and how holy he is. And I, I, a little bit of warning here. Watch your step. This is not a God you want to cross. But on the other hand, I have known plenty of Christians who fear the Lord too much. Who think that they've got to fear God because of everything that they've done. And they, they, God can't possibly forgive them. God can't possibly love them. God can't possibly redeem this terrible thing that happened in their lives. And if that's you, my encouragement to you is that God is not an angry parent ruling with fear. Your idea of the fear of God has to be tempered by his grace and his love. So may the cross of Christ be a sign of grace. And may that grace relieve those fears this day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace, for your favor, for your love. Love that we did not deserve. In fact, we deserve the opposite. May we live with a sense of fear. Lord, that we would not cross you. That we would have a proper respect. But that we would also live in grace. May our decisions, may our actions, may our words be changed because of you. Amen.